This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Hi, I'm Ralph Tucker from Tucker Media. The year 2020 has certainly presented challenges for everyone across the world. In 2020 Revision, I'll chat to a cross-section of the community about their experiences and learnings in this truly unique period of history. From business owners, to professional athletes, to new mums, everyone will share their stories. And to give it an authentic 2020 feel, I've recorded these chats at my kitchen table over Zoom. Glenn Daniel, welcome to 2020 Revision. Thank you, Ralph. It's good to join you, mate, at the end of what's been just a bizarre year. Now, you're a, a newsreader and breakfast presenter on Smooth 95.3 in Sydney. Take us through your year, your 2020. Well, when I look back, I think, you know, January was kind of normal. We'd heard reports about things going on in China and we didn't really have any idea. We are in the midst of bushfires, weren't we? And Sydney was blanketed in smoke in January, February, and we thought that was going to be the biggest thing we would have faced in 2020. Yet by March, we really did tip our world upside down and it changed everybody's lives and it certainly changed broadcasting, that's for sure. We had uh, had some very uh, skilled technicians at Nova Entertainment, which owns Smooth FM, and unbeknownst to us, they did some planning in January after this first word came through about the possibility of an epidemic. And by March, when we really had to take action, Scott Morrison was making announcements, uh, our guys came to us and said, do you want to broadcast from home tomorrow? <laughs> and that wow. was on a Tuesday and they got the gear, they had everyone set up and I, and I said to them, yeah, let's give it a go. So from one morning in a studio, the following morning, I was sitting at the kitchen table broadcasting. It was amazing. Yeah, let's talk about that because obviously with this podcast idea that I came up with when doing this by Zoom, which became a big part of everyone's lives in in 2020, the kitchen table, I know from my point of view, became a a focal point used as a makeshift office, used as a a makeshift table for for a classroom, for for homeschooling. Take us through that, that setup for you broadcasting to Sydney from your home and then you've obviously got a co-host in Bogart Torelli. How did that interaction work and, and, the, and the technology and a, a adapting to it? I think we were fortunate, Ralph, in the sense that currently, even when we're in the studio, we're actually two floors apart. It sounds like the two of us are sitting in the same room doing the show, but the setup at Neighbour Entertainment meant the newsroom and the news booths were on level five of our building and the smooth studios were on level three. So ever since we started this breakfast show eight years ago, uh, we've been working physically apart, although I can see her, she can see me, we can talk to each other and so on. So in many ways, it wasn't that different for me to move out of the studio to my home because I still wasn't in the same room as her. It was kind of normal from that point of view. The other thing that struck me, I think, is just where technologies come. And I think of, you know, as a, as a much younger journo, uh, I remember the first time I went to Wimbledon, it was 1986, and I had two suitcases of equipment to broadcast from Wimbledon along with a very small bag with my own clothes in it because that's all you could take. 
I look at it now and the text arrived at my place, dropped off a laptop, a mobile phone, which was effectively a codec device, which transformed the phone line into a studio line, like a 10K line. And I had those two, a set of headphones and a microphone, and it was just as if I was sitting where I normally do in the studios at Piermont. I would use the laptop to actually access my actual computer in the newsroom. So I didn't have to set things up. I was actually looking at what I normally look at every day, but I was just a few kilometres away. Uh, so it, it, I was astounded in many ways that it worked uh, so well and so quickly and straight away. And I was at home for 12 weeks, so for three months we did it, and we didn't miss, miss a beat in that period. There was no point where we had technical glitches, we didn't miss a bulletin, and I just put that down to the expertise of our technical staff they'd they'd really done the prep and when they set us up we were ready to go it was just amazing we'll touch on the the news event itself in in a moment but i want to just keep going on that i guess that technology part of it and the adaptation for workplaces across the country i mean I'd sort of been working from home for quite a quite a few years and it sort of got into a bit of a, a groove and, and, and got my disciplines um, around that just on the, the work that I'd sort of been doing over quite a few years on a, on a freelance basis through a number of different fields. So I was kind of, of used to it. But there were so many workplaces that have been toying with the idea of work from home and all of that thing with, you know, work-life balance and work flexibility and all of these uh, phrases that people have been tossing about for, for a number of years. But there's always sort of like a bit of a, a reluctance from, from many in terms of, okay, how am I going to get the best out of my people if they're just at home? Um, and how are, they, how are their productivity levels going to be? I think uh, overall, if we, we sort of look back on this 2020 experience, I think most workplaces and most people working for large corporations have, have embraced it and have loved it. And the, the slacking off that people might have expected would probably be minimal compared to the, the output that, that people have delivered in this year. I think the trend has been, Ralph, actually it's gone the other way, that people are finding they're more efficient at home and they are logging in and doing a bit more than they may be doing when they go into the office The radio industry, and I can remember raising it very recently, as late as last year, 2019, about the possibility of doing a couple of days from home, a couple of days at work. The answer in the radio industry was always no. And the investment was in studios and at Nova Entertainment, we just invested millions in upgrading all of our studios and the technology is brilliant. The answer was always no. It's changed now. And I think the reason for that is not only the radio industry, I think every business is now looking at what real estate do we need to lease to do our business? And the answer is always going to be, well, less than it was before. So we're in a situation now where essentially still our on-air staff and our techs are back in the building and some senior management. We've split the staff in general into a sort of a red and a blue team but they're not required to come every day. They can come two days if they want to, maybe three, maybe one. So the majority of our staff, even though we're sort of in a much more open area, particularly in New South Wales, since the worst of the pandemic, um, are deciding to work from home and that will be the future. And I think what that's going to mean is, well, an interesting thing for real estate, particularly in CBDs around the country, that 
that uh, workplaces and businesses will start leasing less floor space. And that's going to make an impact on the real estate industry, obviously, but an impact on their bottom line. And most industries lost a lot of money. This will be a way, I think, very quickly for them to realise some of those losses back. And uh, the other thing, I look, I noticed the commute. Like, and I'm not far from work. I'm less than 20 minutes, about 18 minutes to work, particularly at the hours I work in the middle of the night for a breakfast show. And my commute went from 18 minutes to 18 metres to leave my bed, walk down the hallway, mm. sit at the kitchen table. And I think in cities like Sydney and Melbourne, Brisbane, where commuting is an ordeal and people spend, you know, 90 minutes or two hours in the car sometimes to get to and from work, um, I think we're way more efficient. So it's been a change. I think the outcome has been a bit more surprising than people thought. Uh, having said that, if you give me the choice of being in the studio or being at home, and I love both of them, I would pick to be in the studio. And the only reason I say that is I like the separation physically of my work life and I feel like when I walk out the door, you know, work has dropped off, I'll see you tomorrow and my home is my refuge rather than my workplace. So that's kind of how I feel at the moment, yeah. Yeah, I mean that commute point that you mentioned there, that's huge for people. I think that having to get that time back for a lot of people, even if it is what, like you say, if it's people have a choice of working a, you know, a three and two, for example, of their five-day week, uh, two being at at home and and three in the the office. I mean, that in some cases, like you said, it may be that they get eight or ten hours back and then they're putting that into their their work or they've they've got that time to drop the kids off but they're still as productive when they do log on. So I just think that people have probably, you know, there was a worry about mental health and and people being at home. I think that um, in certain parts of the the country that has actually restored people's mental health in many ways because of the the frustration around and the angst around the the commute every day. I think you're right. I think it's a lifestyle issue. And obviously so much of the mental health issues were in lockdown. We couldn't go anywhere. And that was difficult. But now when we've got the choice to do that and we can move out and about and do what we're doing, certainly, you know, in New South Wales at the moment, what it's meant is, you're right, people are better utilising that time and the work-life balance is much better. And we haven't lost any productivity. We've, as I said before, probably gained it, but people have gained an opportunity now to be able to spend more time with their family. As you said, particularly for parents, they're able to do things with their kids that they probably weren't doing before, and particularly as their kids got older, they'd sort it out. Now they could be there. Um, you know, a mate of mine just being at his son's rugby game during the middle of the year, which he would never get to a, a school rugby match, he could be there and then go back and do some work again. So I think that balance that balance is just enormous and I don't think we're going back in the sense that uh, there will be flexibility. Some people will still work in the office, but I think the change is now going to be permanent and we'll work it out, I think, particularly in 2021, what does it actually mean for the long-term future? But I just think it's a positive. And I think, you know, amidst all the negatives of COVID-19, particularly that we're seeing overseas, and it's tragic. Australia's management has, has been good, uh, significantly better than most other parts of the world. And I think 
what's come from that is a realisation that we can do things better than we used to. We don't have to keep going back to the old ways. So I think in Australia, particularly 2021 and maybe 2022, we'll start to really reinforce what the new norm is. Let's have a look at the events of the last 12 months as a whole, as a, as a news event. Is this the biggest news event that you've covered? I mean, obviously, there has been individual events over, over periods of time that have gone on for weeks at a time. But in your broadcast career of almost 40 years, is this the most extraordinary ongoing news event that's hit us in our lifetime? I don't think there's any doubt about that, you know, and, and they talk about it being a one-in-a-hundred-year phenomenon, and that's what it's been. Uh, we had no idea, what, did it? <laughs> did we, rather, uh, at the start of the year what this was going to mean, and we were very naive. We really didn't know, and, and probably in our hearts we probably thought, look, a few weeks of this and we'll be all over it and we'll get back to normal. We're now just about at the end of the year. The reality is I think in many quarters 2021 is going to be harder than 2020. Um, as we see economic assistance to people start to dry up come the end of March, what that's going to do to employment, uh, what that will do to mental health, uh, there's some big questions for us yet to face in 2021. But as a story, as a news story, as a journalist, I remember the first, it really was getting serious, and I looked at the rundown of my breakfast radio bulletins, which are five minutes long, and normally there's, you know, the normal variety of stories from your hard leads to there could be something more lifestyle towards the back before you go into sport and weather and so on. Every single story in the bulletin besides the sport was COVID-19. And I've never had that situation. Yeah, even in the midst of 9-11, which was obviously a single event, but there was drag on from that for months, obviously, as the investigation went on and so on. It never, it never took up the whole bulletin except for that morning after, the night before. So this has been something we haven't experienced before and it's, it's been interesting to, to, when you are filling a bulletin with the one story, to get enough variety in there of different information, of different reaction and probably we've relied more than ever on the use of Vox Pops in terms of what is your audience thinking about it and for us to tap into that as well as obviously the health officials and prime ministers and presidents around the world and getting all that reaction from the World Health Organisation, et cetera, some of the best stories have been from our listeners who've just rung and told us things and we're able to record them and it's their story that often has been the high point of the bulletin, not the voices we expect to hear. I just want to touch on getting the right balance. I mean, radio particularly in the, the presentation sense, probably less uh, so than the news because it's based around factual events. But how did you go about getting the balance? I mean, people during that COVID period and I, I sort of, you know, the anecdotal evidence was people wanted to consume everything that was important to them, but then there was a period there where it was like information overload. So how did you get that right balance in between providing essential information without, and as we know, fear drives consumption. So obviously there's there's certain elements of, of the news that you need to work in, but also giving people some relief from what was, as you described before, tragic events that are happening overseas that you don't want to, I guess, scare people too much. It was 
pretty tricky, Ralph. You raise a really good point there. And I think once we once we got past the full-on early stages in Australia, let's say March, April, May, into June, as we started to our contact tracing, particularly in New South Wales, was outstanding. Uh, Victoria obviously became an extreme worry later on in the year, but we started to make progress. And I think when we started to make progress, that was the signal for us as journos to start to rebuild some of those other stories we would normally cover back into the bulletin. It also highlighted to me the importance of sport. And I think we've acknowledged that, for instance, in Australia with, with rugby league and AFL particularly, the importance of getting those two up and running again. What an escape that was for people on a Friday night or a Saturday night or a Sunday arvo to know the footy was on this weekend. And if you followed a team or whatever you did, that was escape. So the sport content became really important. And obviously sport was so disrupted, you know, as, as the French Open and, you know, was, was delayed and Wimbledon was delayed and, and various competitions around the world that Aussies love their sport were disappearing. So it made local sport that was available, NRL and AFL, even more important, but also building in those other stories. And I think it was the it was the positive stories. What was going on in our major hospitals, how we'd gone from in March saying we're in a crisis here, we actually don't have enough ICUs. And if this takes off, we're going to have people in the corridors and people in the car parks and in temporary setups in football grounds under tents, we never got there. And so we had to switch to not only covering, obviously, the the bad points, if I can put it that way, Australia and internationally, we started to tell the positive stories. Out of those came the positive lifestyle stories as well, working from home, how that's impacting on businesses, how it's not, covering the businesses that had to shut hospitality but some of them transformed, even high-end restaurants, never done takeaway in their life, but suddenly high-end takeaway was available. The smart entrepreneurs and Australians are very adaptable and I think that was the key, Ralph, was telling those stories of adaptability of what Aussies were doing. Okay, we can't do that, but we can do this. Look what we've done. And then it becomes the competitive Australian nature. We all try to find our own niche and I think Aussies were very good at that, but I I can't give greater tribute than to our frontline health people. They were the innovators. Obviously, governments make decisions and provide budgets, but they were the innovators. And I think particularly of the Sydney Area Health Service, which is based around Royal Prince Albert Hospital, they set up a virtual hospital in less than a week. And what they meant by that was RPA physically couldn't take all the people that wanted to come in, get tested, have treatment for certain things. So they set up a virtual hospital for all of the people that they could deal with that weren't serious and RPA's physical hospital became for the most serious, for ICU and that sort of thing. So I've just been astounded at the positive stories that have come out of what is a negative story. Well, let's continue on in that theme and... What is it that you're looking forward to most in 2021? Obviously, you did sort of forecast that there may be some sort of down times, but and the fact that when we click over to January 1, 2021, it's not going to be the, the silver bullet that perhaps everyone is 
uh, anticipating. But what are you looking forward to most in uh, 2021? You know what I miss the most is travel. Um, and I'm at a stage of my life where, you know, when I'm not working, I'll generally go and travel somewhere. And I'm re- <laughs> I was talking to my two sons. One of them lives in the United States at the moment and the other one works in radio in Sydney. And last summer, Australian time, uh, we were in Canada in the snow and had no idea again what was coming by the time we got home sort of mid-January. But that's what I'm going to miss the most. I'm going to miss when my work year comes to a close, being able to go to Sydney Airport and jump on a Qantas jet and go somewhere. Um, So I look forward to that coming back. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen quickly. I think we're more probably talking about 2022 as the likelihood. There may be some travel to some bubbles. We might develop bubbles with beyond New Zealand to some other countries in Southeast Asia. But looking at what's going on in the United States and Europe and the UK, it's going to be a while before we're travelling there again. So certainly travel is the thing that I, I want to get back to. I want to go and see the world again. It's a great answer. Glenn Daniel, thanks for joining me on 2020 Revision. Thank you very much, Ralph. Good to talk.